Welcome back to the Baseball Plug. I'm your host, Michael Fleischman. Alongside me is my co-host and good friend, Nicholas Bear. Nick, how's it going? I'm doing very well today, Micah. How are you doing? Nick, at 10.05 a.m. Pacific time tomorrow, the Yankees play the Blue Jays. We get baseball again, and I'm beyond excited. Today, we are joined by Jessica Kleinschmidt, NBC Sports Bay Area reporter. Jessica, thank you for coming on today. Uh, For those that don't know who you are, who are you? Uh, I have no idea. Um, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the main, I guess, one of the A's reporters um, in the Bay Area covering a lot of baseball. I'm also the co-host of Corked Up, but when I'm not covering baseball, I'm covering the other teams in the Bay Area um, and everything like that and trying to do some more national stuff and making a lot of damn content. So much content. So much. Everybody that we've had on the show, whether it be Jake Story Alley or Eric Sim, the one thing that I always hear is kill him with content. Um, that was something that Jake said. I was wondering, when did you realize, like, okay, other than just working for NBC Sports Bay Area, can I broaden my horizons, you know, do corked up, uh, do other things on social media to kill him with content? I feel like there's you have to think digital and you have to think social media just because like when I first got in the industry, it was only pretty much written work and TV. There was like nothing else in between. So I thought, I think that's cool about digital. Um, I, I like the idea of how there it's so multi multifaceted. You can record a podcast, but you can write off of it. You can post a, a, a clip on TV. You can post a clip on social media. You can be more connected to your fans and your followers and stuff like that. So it, for me, it was taking one piece of content and making maybe five different things out of it. And you think of like Mike Trout, he's a, what, a five tool player. So why not, how different is that from what I'm trying to do? I want to be able to keep doing it. So if I master a written article, I can master a podcast. I can master TV. I can master reporting. I can master, you know, being an analyst and stuff like that. So for me, it was just like, I wanted to keep pushing myself and as a baseball fan, I wanted people to, I wanted to consume it just as much I wanted as I wanted to create it. So I'm listening to people. I'm thinking, what do they want to consume? What nerdy baseball things do they want? Or if you're not a nerd in baseball, what would you want? So it's just stretching my creative limits and um, trying to teach people my audience at the same time. Yeah, you know, you, you obviously you ended that question or that answer, excuse me, talking about the audience and the people that you interact with on social media. How important is that to you specifically that you do hear from your fans or from even friends that you have uh, to know what to post and not just post anything news about the Giants or the athletics all the time? I feel like it's important just from like so many different ways. So like even from like a baseball, from the player's perspective, you know, what, if I can connect with them on a different level, not just how they pitched or their slash lines or anything like that. I want to know like, Hey, you had this really cool information. You did this, you tweeted this interesting thing. 
tell me more about it because you have all these followers and stuff like that. Plus you want people to click on your articles and that's just to make your bosses happy too. So you want to think about what your friends are nerding out about or your friends who aren't nerding out on baseball, what are they consuming? Because you want to bring, you know, cause me personally as beyond baseball, like I love fashion and I love music and I love all these things what can my friends who may not like sports want to see or want to watch? That's my, one of my favorite stories is when I'll go to a game and I'll bring a girlfriend of mine. And if she's not into sports, I'll be like, well, Hey, Mark Canna's up at the plate. Let me tell you a funny story about him. One time I'd ask Mark Canna about the time he signed a potato. And my girlfriend will be like, Whoa, that's really cool. Or I bring a, a guy friend with me or whatever and stuff like that. So it, it depends on the, on the situation, but there's, there's more, you can stretch, you know, one little baseball thing. And that's what I like about my writing is even if I don't put a slash line in there or his ERA or whatever they're doing, um, I want that, I want somebody to read it as like a fall in love with the guy themselves. And that way you create a new fan because my friend is always asking about Mark Hanna now. She's just like, oh, okay. Like what's, what's he up to? The guy who signed the potato, what's he up to? So stuff like that. So for me, I think outside the bun a lot and not just cool. He had a good game, whatever, but it's like, tell me a little bit more about that stuff and uh, what makes you tick uh, without asking what makes you tick. Cause I hate that question. So just having fun with it and seeing what people are, consuming and then my followers, I want to interact with them because I want to know what they're reading or what they want from me um, and stuff like that. So it's just, and it's also so important to respond to them too on social media. That's a big thing. A big, big thing that I want is to interact with my followers because they follow my work no matter where I end up and they want to see what I'm up to and they they get attached to my words and, and who I know and stuff like that. So it's a very imperative part and I feel like people aren't, aren't doing that like enough. We're not talking to people that are consuming our, we just push out content and walk away. And I, I don't like people that do that. All right. So I got to ask you're with NBC Bay area. So that's the giants and NBC the sports Bay area, NBC sports Bay area. So yeah. that's the giants and the A's the yeah. AL and the NL Yeah. universal DH yay or nay. Okay. So here I, you see Joey Votto behind me. The reason why I would want a universal DH is because I want this man to play forever, forever. However, so before they implemented it in 2020 to kind of test it, I wanted it so bad because I like that we got to see David Ortiz play forever. I'm a big Chris Davis fan. I want him to have a job always, no matter what happens. But then they implemented it and I was kind of like not impressed. I was like, okay. And then think about it this way, Micah, like if you, if I were to spring, oh, by the way, we're going to have a DH and it's spring training. That's such a dick move because then you have to go out and find like, what do you, okay, what do you do? Like you have to scramble, you have to scramble. You're not all going to have Nelson Cruz's of the world who just are DHs always. So um, I'm, I'm kind of whatever about it. Um, I'm glad they tested it not just in a selfish way, like, okay, Jess, they tried it. How do you feel? But it's fine. But I feel like they need to figure it out soon. Either we do it forever or we don't do it forever. And I've noticed with like, you know, talking to Bob Melvin, he's an, he's an old school guy, but he was actually okay with, with all the things that were implemented last year. So to see like the old school guys embracing it was good. Um, but for me, 
I'm whatever, but I, they tried it and I, I wasn't that impressed. All right. So another thing that they also tried, it seems like 2020 was almost a test season Mm -hmm. is they tried the expanded playoffs, the eight men or the eight teams in each division playoffs. I wasn't a fan. Nick wasn't that big a fan. I want to know where your opinion stands. Why weren't you a fan? I wasn't a fan because I don't think that the Marlins should have made the playoffs. They were, what, two games over 500? I don't think that a team that's mediocre or just a little bit over it is deserving to make the playoffs. That's I feel like that is a weak company. That's my problem with the NBA. I mean, the NBA's Eastern Conference is so weak, while the NBA's West is very strong, and teams that will make it in the East won't make it in the West or okay. vice versa. Nick, why, why were you like – Well, I don't think it was much as that I didn't like it as much as it was in a 60-game season. I'm fine with it because it was a shorter season. I think now that we're going to have a full season, it's like, okay, time to take it out. But I thought it was a fun test. I mean, I'm going to go the exact opposite of Micah here because I watched the NBA too, and I kind of like the fact that in the first round for the top-seeded team to have a very easy opponent to start with, I think it's a really good warm-up for them. So I actually enjoyed it for a 60-game season. But for this season, no thank you. So I I liked it, but I could see both sides. And I don't think we would be as – we would be way less – sorry, way more passionate about it if, say, the Rays won the whole thing, right? And I spoke to both uh, Brett Phillips and uh, Mike Rousseau um, heading – because they were the last two in, um, interviews for Bok Talk. And I feel like if the Dodgers didn't win – it would be a different scenario. I do like these last minute kind of those teams. Like it's always going to be like the giants, the Braves, the reds who maybe were slow at the beginning, but toward the end when they figured they weren't going to make playoffs, they were like, let's get jacked up. Let's just win 22 games. Like, fuck it. Let's go. And they, and I, and I kind of like that. I still feel like those teams need to make an appearance. They need to be the wild card teams because you need those teams. So I liked it to a, actually quite a bit because there was so much more competition, which is ultimately what we want. Right. And, and like you mentioned the 60 game season, like we don't hundred percent know if the giants were going to be on their way toward the playoffs, if the Marlins would have made it. Cause we, we can't predict the future, but I feel like you need five, like five or four or five, like scrappy teams. We were like, I don't know. There's they're on the bubble. Like I'm confused. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you're not a good playoff team, you're, you're going to get knocked out. That's just, that, that is what it is. And I think that's ultimately what happened. The Rays deserve to be in the world series. Absolutely. However, I could see people being like, Oh, if they won, that's a joke of a season. And I'm kind of glad the Dodgers won because people, the, my friends who aren't baseball fans were like, Oh, what a joke, a 60 game season. If you're the world series, it doesn't feel real. Mind you, my job is based on a season happening. So I could see both sides. However, mama loves some competition. I love shit talking. I love all of it. So if that happens, I'm happy. And I feel like I get the experimentation. And I didn't realize how passionate I was about this until y'all asked me. Nobody's asked me about the expanded playoffs. This is kind of funny. But I, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think it brought more funkiness because I know you brought NBA into it right but NBA has a lot more viewership because of certain reasons so why why not ex- experiment with MLB so I definitely liked it and actually a lot of 
managers appeared to like it, not just because their team has a better chance of making the playoffs, but it was way more entertaining, I feel. And I feel like that's what we need more of in baseball. Yeah, so you did also mention that uh, you love having a season because, like, that's just your thing, kind of. Yeah. What What's the feeling of going into a new season? Like, does it feel like the first day of school, kind of, and you're meeting new guys on new teams, new managers, new players? Like, what's that feeling like because the season is now starting tomorrow? You're talking about this season or seasons before? Because it feels – so this season, I feel more at home because this is my third season with the A's, and I kind of feel like a boss boss girl because some of these some of these players are like, "Can I come on your podcast?" Like that's badass. And like when I introduce myself, they're like, oh, "I already know who you are," and that's really cool. Three years ago, I was like, "Hi, it's nice to meet you. I'm Jess," and now, so it's a little bit different. So I'm more nervous for them. I feel like they feel more like the new kid in school and. But it's just so different because I, I used to, it's so, it's so funny, like three, four years ago, I hated talking on camera. I absolutely hated it. And now I'm so used to it. And if like the guys are too. So think about it this way. If your first year in the bigs was all Zoom and then two years later I come in and I'm like, hi, and I'm like used to seeing them in the clubhouse in person. I wonder if they're gonna be like, whoa, wait a second, you're in my space. And I'm like, yeah, you're used to the Zooms and stuff like that. So I, I gotta be honest. I don't feel, I don't know how to feel because I, I didn't go to one baseball game last year at all. After I went to a bunch of spring training, but after that, there was none. So I covered a 60 game season from this exact spot. And uh, so I don't know. I wish I could confidently answer that. However, I will be, at, I haven't told anybody this. I'll be at spring training as a fan. I have to do a little bit of momentum work, but we're going to see how it goes. Maybe then I'll feel like it's an actual season, Nick. I don't know. We'll see. You mentioned Momentum. Somebody that works very closely with that brand is Rachel Luba, who is Trevor Bauer's agent. And you guys run a podcast I've together. i heard of her, Micah. Who's that? Yeah, no, I don't, uh, I don't know. Who's Trevor anyway. Bauer? Who's that? Some dude. He doesn't make a lot of money. I don't, I don't really know. Oh, um, like daddy money, Trevor Bauer. Yeah, but you run a podcast. It's you and Rachel. How do you see the future of women in baseball evolving? I feel like it's evolved a lot, but I feel I'm, – I'm glad there's a lot of pushback. I like being second-guessed, and, that, and that's – I mean, I don't know if you guys know my story, but I grew up playing baseball. I played baseball until I was a sophomore in high school, so – Baseball is not new to me. The, the fields aren't new to me. Every time I arrive at a stadium, I feel like I'm at home. So it's a very broad question. I feel like there's plenty of room at the table, but um, at the same time, I don't feel like I can just skip in, unless it's the A, the A stadium. I feel like I can skip into the Oakland Coliseum and feel comfortable, but there's certain places where we're still trying to figure it out. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. I feel, I feel like it's, it's a positive, but we're always going to be trying and, and working extra hard and everything like that, which I'm totally okay with. I don't mind putting the extra work in just to like prove people wrong. But at the same time, I don't like the women who are complaining the entire time. It's like, we know it's hard. I can literally write a book about how hard it is for women in baseball. I could write a book in 20 minutes about it 
And it's just like, we want to do our jobs. We want to work hard, but we also want the backup. We can handle ourselves. But like, if you see something happening, like, bro, have our backs, you know, like if, if you see something bad and like, cause I can't tell you the amount of times where somebody would say something. Usually it's like a stupid fan or something like Jessica slept with this person to get her job. And it's like, it's not true. Cause my resume speaks for itself, but like, like we need the backup not to be like, but that's, that's what I need. I just need for somebody to be like, you're stupid. Shut up. Look at this. And I can handle it, but we need like the support. So we need allies. We, I have so many allies as players. The players have been nothing but fantastic toward me since I got in the industry. And, and yeah. So unfortunately though, I don't see a, a, a female MLB player. I really don't see that. And I wish, I wish we did. Cause I wanted to be the first female MLB player. That's not going to happen when you're five, nothing and can't hit hundred mile an hour fastballs. Who knew? Um, so that's kind of where, that's where I'm at. And going back to, you said the players treat you well, and you said that you, you kind of feel like that the players are almost more the new kids at school than you are. How, how hard is it to develop a, a trusty relationship between players and media? Cause I know there's always sometimes some friction between players and media or anything in media. There's always doubt in media. So how, how hard is it to create that trust? For me, it's really easy. And, and I'm lucky enough where, I mean, I work with Trevor with momentum and the reason why he started a media company is because he didn't trust the media, but then he hired me a member of the media to launch this podcast with his, his agent. So I, I just try to respect them. And for me, even with the Trevor situation, a lot of people were like, Hey, I bet you're going to announce where Trevor's going. Like you're going to, and first of all, Rachel's one of my dearest friends and I would run through a brick wall for her, no cap. And I did not give a shit where Trevor would land. Selfishly, I wish it was the Giants so I could see one of my best friends always, but um, and plus the content would be like daddy always. I would have loved to cover Trevor in San Francisco, which I will partly because he's with the Dodgers and we, we're going to love that rivalry. But for me, it it's honestly, I learned a lot from him. Like I was curious about like why, why he had an issue with the media. And then I would listen to him and think, oh, we have a tendency to twist words. So I didn't do that. And when I would ask questions to the guys, it was never, I never had like an agenda. It's just like, I just want it to be me and you chilling, talking about things. Cause at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm like a nerd with baseball, but I love to talk to people. And that makes me a damn good journalist in certain ways. So that's why I love the, my, I loved all the podcasts because just people talking, we just happen to have a microphone in front of us and uncorked up. We might have to have a glass of wine in our system. Like that's, that's what it is too. So I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot from what people say and, and I double up. So if I were to ask, I'll make sure. So I'd say, I'm talking to a player and if we have a good enough relationship, I'll like message them like, Hey, if I were to say this and that, would that be fair? Is that cool? But a lot of them are just like over the media. So they're like, if they, t if they say something, it's whatever. And unfortunately I try not to get like, you know, it's perception too. A lot of times if I'm looking in the clubhouse and seeing how a guy's acting, that may not be how they actually feel. And that's on me. So um, for me, it's just, it's, it's easy to develop relationships because I'm a 
social butterfly and I feel like I'm approachable and I have a lot of good guys in my corner who can vouch for me. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't put too much pressure on it. Cause I'm like, Hey, if you don't like me, that's okay. But I'm going to do my best not to twist your words. If you're going to tell me something. And I've been in some situations, I mean, especially 2020 where we had COVID, we had Mike fires after he announced, you know, the Astros scandal, we had, just Black Lives Matter. I learned so much from Marcus Simeon and Tony Kemp. They have no idea how much I learned from them. And it was it was about growing the balls to ask the questions. I had Taylor Trammell on um, Bok Talk and I said, how do we be better? You're a black man playing this sport. I have no idea what you, what you go through. And they appreciate that. You ask the questions and you don't bullshit. And that's important too. So that's kind of how I do it. And just being myself, I'm not, I, I have no agenda. I hadn't, I didn't, didn't care where Trevor signed. I wasn't poking Rachel at it. Just wanted them to be happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad it's over and done with, but you know, so it's just being yourself and not being a sleaze bag. And then you're going to be a really good journalist and you'll earn some respect. Right. We know the two favorites in each league, the Dodgers in the NL and the Yankees in the AL with with that being said, what is your World Series matchup? But you cannot Ew, pick those can, teams. Come on, man. You can come on. You cannot pick those two teams. It's what is your World February. Series matchup? Doesn't matter. I gotta know who's I'll still out there. Who's still out there? Predictions, bro. Fudge. Uh, yeah. I so it can't be Dodgers and Yankees. Can't Dodgers Yankees. Okay, I'll go crazy. Let's do Padres. A's. A's over the White Sox? Sure. After the A's lost Marcus Semien? Okay, the A's. And Hendricks of Liam? Okay, you don't think I know what the A's did? I'm trying to. Okay. Yes. I know it's an emotional and touchy subject. We do A's and Padres, but I only because I don't know how the White Sox can handle postseason. I don't know how they're going to handle it. That's fair. That's fair enough. A's are A's make a lot of playoff appearances in the last five years. So they don't really play that well, though. What's that? They don't really play that well, though. I mean, they beat the White Sox in a wild card wild card series in a weird year. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Liam had a lot to do with that, but so did Chad Pinder. So I hate that question. It is barely March, and you asked me that. I appreciate you, that. You know, I'm sure you asked some have, questions. Only because both you and I have an SCH in our name did I answer that, okay? You know, I'm sure you asked some players some questions that they don't like, so, you know, you're on the receiving end I've of it. I've never asked it. Actually, what did I do? The other day, no, I've never, I don't think I've ever, yeah, maybe twice, but it was just like, I didn't explain it correctly, and I had to. I'm a, what are you talking about? I've always asked great questions. Not a bad question once. Never. I'm batting a thousand when it comes to questions. So we touched up a little bit on last year, how, and this year is going to be a lot with uh, COVID and uh, how last year you also touched a little bit on the Black Lives Matter stuff going on. I don't want to get too much into that part, but with with everything that's going on right now, how hard is it to adapt to, you know, balancing being a reporter, um, being friendly with the players, but also being like, 
you know, just, just a person and like having a life and paying attention to things going around you. And like, how, how do you make, how do you maintain good relationships with players, even when you can't really see them as up close because of COVID? I like social media helps a lot. Um, just because like they'll follow my work and like all that stuff and just pushing out a ton of content shows that I'm approachable because you had Sim on here, right? So you know, yeah. like he pushes out tons of content. I feel like I could DM him and be like, hey, I have a question because he posts so many, so many things. Um, I'm also just like the same person online as I am in person. Like this is me in front of a camera, behind the camera, all the things. I cuss a lot more, which I know I've already cussed, but imagine that times like 10. Um, and so just kind of like that. I'm not, I'm not ever worried about that. And I haven't for the longest time. I mean, at the beginning, when I first got in my career, I was very fake online because I was trying to be Katie Nolan or Sarah Spain. And I was like, I actually looked at an old YouTube of myself, like from seven years ago. And I was like, I understand why I got bullied online because I was the worst. And I just stopped doing that. And I'm myself, I'm authentic, I'm real. And I feel like that makes me more approachable and then vice versa. And I'm also not scared to ask question and I haven't asked any controversial questions and even if I did I'll preface it with like hey gotta be that guy right now and I gotta ask you about this and all that and my job is the first person to interview Mike Fires in person after the scandal so I feel like there's aren't that there aren't that many things that I'm scared of at this point and when Marcus Simeon and Tony Kemp sit down sit you down via zoom of course and tell you that Black, pe black men um, in baseball are being treated like shit. You listen. That's, that's, that's the stuff. And even Chris Davis came out when he went to the um, Rangers. He was playing with a lot of stress. And he said Black Lives Matter had a lot to do with it. And so for me, if those guys can get through that, I'm not going to be worried about maintaining a relationship with them. If they can be vulnerable and talk about that. I deserve to be vulnerable and not worry about approaching them with any questions and maintaining a relationship because if they can open up to us like that, why can't we? I know you mentioned you've only spent three years with the A's. This is going to be your third year, but in that time, what has been the most memorable game that you've covered or seen live or watched? I watched Mike Fires no hitter against the Reds. That was a, he did do that. that was a great with a little bit of help from Pintar. I mean, Pintar, whatever. Don't go there. It's fine. It's I'm not fine. a big deal Relax about Pintar. over there. Relax. So um, it was a really cool game because I looked at the schedule and my boss was like, I saw A's versus Reds, Jess. And I was like, first of all, the A's never play the Reds. So that was cool. Secondly, my boss was like, I need for you to go interview Joey Votto. And I was like acting cool. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll go interview Joey Votto. I'm like freaking out inside. Luckily, Joey Votto is a big Barry Bonds fan, so that, that was a good Bay Area tie because he used to study Barry Bonds obsessively. So I, like, went ahead and I, like, I emailed the Reds, everything. I was like, hey, can I get Joey? They know that I love Joey, so they were just like, sure. And so I, um, so Joey approaches me in the clubhouse. He's like, did you need to talk to me? I was like, Sure, Joey. And mind you, I wasn't fangirling at all because I, I, I know how to turn that off when I'm working. But he was so brilliant. And so I talked to him and I walked away and I kind of got like teary-eyed, teary but like not cried because like I'm an adult. Um, and 
So I only had to work the first half. So I wrote the, wrote the two Joey Votto articles because I also asked him about the A's. And then I got to be a fan for the rest of the game. And the moment I sit down, Mike Fires just starts shoving on the mound. I mean, shoving is kind of a light thing because he threw a lot of pitches. But the best, it was, it was like everything you would want in a game. It's a no-hitter. Um, and then Jerks and Profar made a great catch. Ramon Laureano robbed my boy, Joey Votto, of a bomb. And then, and I got to watch a no-hitter in person. So it was like all these things that happened. Um, so that was probably my, one of my favorite moments. But the best moment had to do with Dallas Braden because he, he's a big part of why I'm, I'm, we just, we have such good chemistry together and I want to work with him always. And so the moment COVID hit, we all went into quarantine. So we were working from home. So NBC turned into like kind of an ESPN classics. That's before your guys' time. Um, but we just replayed old, old games. And of course his game, which is one of the most infam infamous because he's, I love him and I'm allowed to say that, uh, his perfect game. So I got to interview him with it. And mind you, this was a last minute thing. So I didn't have a chance to, um, put anything in my background. So I'm interviewing him and he's telling me, you know, he got, he was hung over when he threw, when he threw this perfect game and it was on mother's day and he lost his mom, you know, in high school. And I lost my dad when I was 19. So I'm interviewing him and we, it airs, everything's fine. And I remind, I look in the background of me interviewing him and it's a photo of me and my father. And I was like, oh my gosh, cause my dad took me to an, my first A's game. And to have that full circle moment with Dallas was just brilliant. And yeah, and, and Dallas just shows like you can be fun and knowledgeable in the game. So it was just a really cool moment for me. So those, those two were definitely top ones for me. Last question, Barry Bonds, Hall of Famer, yes, yes. or no? Yes. That's all I needed to hear. Period. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode of The Baseball Plug. I'm your host, Micah Fleischman. And I'm Nicholas Bear. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Jessica, thank you for coming on. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Unfortunately, you can find me at KleinschmidtJD on Twitter or Jessica Kleinschmidt as you guys stalked me on the Instagram. And thank you guys for reaching out. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You can find us at thebaseballplugpodcast.com. Uh, that's our website and on Instagram at the baseball plug underscore. You can follow me on Twitter at Micah underscore zero four one six and on Instagram at envy Micah. That's at E N V Y M I C A H. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nicholas bear seven. That is N I C H O L A S B A E R and the number seven and on Instagram at Nicholas golfer. That's N I C H O L A S G O L F E R. Jessica, thank you for coming on. Guys, thank you for listening. Peace out.